Um, <clears throat> I will confess, though, I'm on one of those stretches where I do not sleep very much lately. For whatever reason, I wake up at 3 a.m., and my mind just wants to think about all the most wonderful things in the world. Um, and if I could remember half of them, I'm sure I would be both rich and famous, but I can't remember them. However, a couple weeks ago in one of these stretches, I actually, knowing that I was going to be speaking today, received what I believe to be divine inspiration. Um, and I think that, you know, that's not really supposed to be like an uncommon thing. I think that's probably a pretty normal thing. We just don't often attribute it to what it is. Um, but I had a 3 a.m. divine inspiration, and I got really excited at 3 a.m. in the morning about talking what I was going to talk about here. And uh, I'm going to do my best to share it with you. The problem is I'm really tired today. So I have no idea what is going to come out of my mouth. And hopefully it will be close to how excited I got when I was singing about it. Um, I, uh, I want to talk today about who I am and who I want to be. Or who you are and who you want to be. Who we are today and who we would like to be someday. And uh, I'm going to use some scriptures out of Romans 7 and 8. So if you do have a Bible and you would like to read along in your Bible, you're welcome to open to Romans 7 and 8. I was going to put the words up on the board here, but then, of course, uh, we had some wonderful computer issues. So I get to read them off of my phone to you this morning. And I'm going to do that in a moment. But first, I actually am going to invite you to get out your phone and to play along. Um, I'm going to, again, I was going to actually put your responses up on screen. Don't worry, they're anonymous if you choose to respond to this. But I am going to actually see responses are and be able to share, and again, they'll be totally anonymous, if you're willing to answer a couple questions and send in a text. So here's how to participate. If you text the number 22333, and you type in the word, you text the message 5th Ave, which is 5-T-H-A-V-E, you will get a message back that says, you have now joined my little poll. Let's see if it works. All right, so text the number 22333. Text that. That's like the phone number you're texting, okay? And then the words you're going to text to that number are 5-T-H-A-V-E, 5th Ave. No spaces, just 5-T-H-A-V-E. Has anybody got it to work yet? It works. Awesome. Okay. So it says that my poll is live and I'm waiting for responses. So here's what I would ask for you to text to me. And then I'm going to scan through these responses and kind of see what themes pop up, okay? So if you could think of a word or a phrase that encapsulates something important to you about who you want to be someday. Who do you want to be? You could think of that in terms of, well, I'm not going to qualify. I'll just say, who do you want to be? A word or a phrase that tells who you want to be. And I'm going to start getting responses any second. Okay, who's sent one in already? Because I haven't received anything. <laughs> I'm waiting. What? I did say it's open. Okay. You got a text back saying it's not open? Oh, now it is. Oh, I'm getting responses. Okay, so if it didn't work, now they're coming in. Hold on, they're coming in. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I got to keep loading these. All right, can I read a few of these? I'm not, I, I don't know who you are, who sent these in, so I'm just going to read them. Who do I want to be someday? Comfortable. I want to help others financially, spiritually, and emotionally. I want to be joyful. Joyful, another brave. Brave, encourager, kind, funnier, 
Set my family up for their future success. Forgiving, helpful, alive. Forgiving, again, loving and giving. I don't know yet. I'm only 61. <laughs> That's excellent. I want to be known. I want to be loving, loving, more godly, wise, and compassionate. I want to be a good man. Retired. <laughs> That's a good call. Not going to happen. Um, I want to be inclusive. I want to be calm. I want to have integrity. I want to be confident. Excellent. So these are beautiful images that I believe God has put into us desires of who we want to be, right? Now I'm going to ask you another question, and you're welcome to uh, submit another answer. And this is going to be multiple choice, A, B, C, or D. So you're going to have to listen carefully. Uh, option A, or so the question, you should have another question first. <laughs> this is what happened, short on sleep. The question is, how confident are you that you will become that? Four options. You can be Chuck Norris confident. That's like, this is happening. No question, it has probably already happened. That's Chuck Norris confident. So that's A. I already got a couple of those. Um, option two would be Rocky, Rocky Balboa confident. Um, idealistic underdog. I see myself as an underdog in this fight, but I'm idealistic and I'm going to try anyway. Okay, that's, that's option B. Option C is Thomas Doubtful, Doubting Thomas. And option C is Miracle Max from The Princess Bride. It'll never work, okay? So are you A, B, C, or D about what you want to be or who you want to be later in life? So we're getting some responses. So, so far we are at no Miracle Maxes. That's awesome. Uh, we have one doubtful. We have 13 idealistic underdogs in here, and we have 11 Chuck Norrises. Anybody else not have a chance to respond yet? So here's a question. What makes us confident or not confident that we will get to experience these things that are in our hearts to be, right? That we will become the people that we want to be. Um, I want to look in Romans 7 and 8 today because I think Paul does a really good job of addressing this struggle. I am going to have one more question for you later, by the way. So you can keep your phone out. I'm going to ask for more responses if you're willing. So, oh, I got to get my phone out again because I got to read this verse. Um, so Romans seven fifteen to 25 is one of those classic uh, scriptures <laughs> that you've probably heard before. And uh, it's, I think it's often maybe misinterpreted, but I'm just going to read it. And I'm going to ask you to conjure up in your mind whatever, or allow whatever comes to your mind to be conjured, to see what, what strikes you. And then we're going to do it again in a slightly different way, okay? I'll probably actually need some helpers since I don't have screens. Um, okay, says this, I do not do what I want. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I'm agreeing with the law. That is good. So now it's no longer I who do it. It's sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. So I find a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. 
O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I talk about a lot of words to, to describe a fairly simple concept. <laughs> the simple concept is I want one thing and I can't do it. I want what is good. I want what is right. I cannot do it. Okay? So let's see. Jimmy, you're right there. Brandy, would you mind helping me as well? All you have to do is stand here. You don't even have to do anything. You just have to represent something. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, one of you will represent. Let's see. Jimmy, would you go over on this side? Jimmy's going to represent my mind. More or less. <laughs> and Brandy will represent my actions, what I do. So I just want you to raise your hand when I'm talking about you, okay? So we're going to clarify. In case this seems jumbled, we're just going to make this really, really obvious, okay? So I might even point because it does get a little back and forth. Here we go. For I do not understand my own actions. So that's me. Well, me not understanding her, okay? I don't understand, okay? For I do not do what I want. I do not do what I want. Okay? We follow? Um, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but something else. It's not either of us. It's sin living in me. Okay? For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I don't do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do, there we go, what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it. Who does it? He says, it's sin dwelling within me. So I find a law that when I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Thank you, guys. You can take a seat. So the issue is, how is it possible? Here's a great question. How is it possible that I could want something, that you could want something so badly, and you cannot be able to do it? How is that possible? How is it possible that my mind, which supposedly controls all of this, can want something so good and so right, and yet all of this cannot always do it. How is that possible? He's describing this war, this battle that goes on within us. And I think for many Christians, obviously, the problem, if we come to the natural conclusion based on a lot of sermons we hear, would be, well, the problem is me, so I guess I just need to try harder. That is sort of the de facto mindset that we fall back to. If, if the problem is me, it's in here, then it's my job to fix it. And I would say it is not. The problem is not us. The problem is within us. That's very different, isn't it? To say the problem is me when I have an infection is not actually accurate. The problem is the infection. 
and I had an infection. I had a staph infection. That was not my problem. It was the staph infection's problem. That was not cool. And so we had to deal with the staph infection. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't even touch it. We had to have something else, antibiotics, to deal with it, okay? So within my body, there is something that is not of me, and it's not of God. It's something that got born and bred into me when the, when the world, the creation that God created, took a wrong turn. And it infects all of creation. Every physical element in the universe is touched by it. And in order for God to make things right again, I have to come face to face with this idea. Who is making things right again? Is this really my job? Is this something I can fix or not? Um, according to Paul, he says, you can't. I'm going to ask you to do something I almost never ask people to do. I'm going to ask you to say something with me. Just say, I can't go. I can't. Now, that's not a phrase we use very often, is it? Unless someone's asking you to help them move. You don't like to use the words, I can't. We're taught not to use those words. And I can't is very different than saying, I won't or I'm unwilling, which is often the guilt trip that gets placed, especially on Christians. Well, it's not working because you just won't do it. You won't do it right. You're not willing enough. And Paul uses very different language. The good that I want to do, what does he say? I can't. I can't do it. Period. Full stop. I can't do it. Okay, so that leaves us at an interesting place. Luckily, there's another chapter. So, in Romans 8, Paul goes on. And there's a, I'm not going to read a lot of Romans 8. There are a couple of verses I'm going to pull out, but I will say a couple things. The first good news that he says in response to this, and if you're thinking at this point this is not good news, I think if we were left here, yes, you would be correct. This is not very good news. But he says, the first thing that you have to remember is that there is therefore now no condemnation. So even though I can't do the good things that I want to do, I'm not condemned. In fact, he makes a point of saying, I am actually considered righteous in God's eyes despite my own actions. Now that is a miracle, agreed? So we have been able to step out from under the weight of the pressure of trying to perform things that we just absolutely cannot perform. The history of humanity has proved that. We just can't get it right. And we're not going to be able to get it right on our own. That's pretty clear. So the first good news, thank you, Jesus, is that I don't have to worry about my acceptance or the condition of my relationship to God based on my performance. The fact that you can't doesn't mean that you aren't accepted or valuable. So that's the first really important things. And we say, that's great. But I'm still trapped in this body. I've still got a life to live. I've still got people to relate to. I've still got good things I want to do. I, I got a person that I want to become. How on earth can I get there? And Paul then moves into his second point, which he spends a lot of time, oh, that's a terrible pun, fleshing out. Um, <coughs> it just came to me. Um, now we have two options for how to proceed from here. The first option is the flesh. And the second option he calls the spirit. Okay? So let's talk a little bit about this. And I have this awesome graphic. Oh, wait, I don't. So instead, I'm going to read. Would you guys mind coming and help me again, Brandy and Jimmy? I need, because we have two new options. Now, these options are not the same as what I was just talking about. These are two new options. This time, you get to be the spirit. You're welcome. And Jimmy gets to be the flesh. So, <laughs> excellent. 
Excellent. <clears throat> he says this. Here's your options. Ready? Those who live according to the flesh. <laughs> left-handed. You guys switch places. Okay. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And for this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Thank you, guys. That's all. (laughs) I appreciate it. Okay. So interestingly, we have now found two can'ts, I can'ts. One I can't is I can't do the good things that I want to do always, right? And the second I can't is in the flesh, I can't please God. Those are kind of like saying the same thing. Um, Now, I have one more poll for you to take. Got your phone out? When I say the words, the mind set on the flesh, what Jimmy represented, the mind set on the flesh, what words or phrases come to your mind? What is the mind set on the flesh? Could you just text me in your thoughts, your ideas, a word, a phrase? What is the mind that is set on the flesh? What kind of imagery or ideas conjure up? And I need to actually make that full active because you're about to get us a thing that says that you can't respond. So let me go forward. I'm going to make this one active. Okay, now it's active. Here they come. All right. So I'm just going to go read some of these responses as they're flying in here. Um, okay, doing what feels good, short term, what's cool, starving, selfish, not asking God anything, greed, me, I, self-preservation, immorality, selfish. Desire, selfish, wealth, selfishness, selfishness, self-focused, lust, dichotomy, materialism, our comfort and environment, ugly, distracted, selfish acts, consciousness. Whoa, that's deep. Someone, whoever texted me can come up afterwards and tell me what consciousness, how that relates to the mind that's set on the flesh, because I'd love to hear your thoughts. Paul is describing two minds that are set. And can we call them mindsets? (laughs) He's describing two mindsets, okay? So oftentimes, I think when I was growing up, I thought of the mind that is set on the flesh as a mind that's thinking bad thoughts, the mind that is wanting things that are not good, the mind that is focused purely on itself and trying to get what it wants at the expense of others, basically this sinful mind. As I went back through and was thinking about this in my early hours in the morning, I felt like Paul might have been actually talking about something else, and I want to uh, submit it this morning. The mind that is set on the flesh, is it just thinking bad thoughts? Um, In Romans 7, the chapter right before that we talked about, what did he say about his mind? Jimmy represented the mind at that point. What did he say was true about his mind? He said, in my mind, I want what is good. Didn't he say that? So let's assume that that thought continues into chapter 8, which I think it probably does because he didn't write chapters. He was just writing. Um, So let's assume that Paul is still thinking, in my mind, I want what is good. Now, if I want what is good, now what is the mind that is set on the flesh? That's an interesting question. So I want what is good. I can't do it. So I've got two ways to try to do what is good. I've got one way that is the mind set on the flesh and the one way that is mind that is set on the spirit. But both are trying to get to the good thing. Have you ever thought about it this way? So what is then the mind that is set on the flesh? 
I think the mind that is set on the flesh at that point becomes a mind that is focused on myself, what I can do and what I cannot do. It's my job to get it done. Now, before the Spirit came, before Jesus came and introduced, introduced us to a whole new way of living, wasn't that the only option? We had one option. Do your best. Uh, to, do your best to keep the law. And if you don't, here's your option. Go make a sacrifice. Go get a cleansing bath. Do whatever you got to do to feel righteous again until the next time you fail. Now there's a new option. And the new option is, instead of focusing on me trying to get done what I need to get done in order to be acceptable, I've got a whole other path I can take. Um, what's the problem? Let me ask this. What is the problem with trying to do it myself? Besides the fact that I can't, which Paul already said. What is the real problem? Paul says it leads to death. It's hostile to God. It can't even please God. What is he talking about? Let me describe it. One, our actions will, your actions, no matter how good you try to be, will never be good enough, right? So if, if you imagine a huge hamster wheel, that's what I picture when I picture me doing it myself. I'm always going to work harder and harder and harder to try and do better and better and better. My performance will never be good enough, and I will spend my whole life and all my energy exhausting myself trying to be something that I cannot be. And second, when I've tried so hard for so long and I inevitably fail, how will I feel about myself? That's where shame enters the picture. So it becomes this two-edged sword. It's like, man, with the best intentions, I'm working as hard as I can, but I'm exhausted and when I fail, I feel terrible, and I isolate, and I medicate, and I retreat, and I try to do anything I can to not feel terrible about what, the, what I just failed at compared to how hard I just tried. Does that sound like legalism to you? Because it sounds like legalism to me. It is an old way of trying to live, and it doesn't have to be the option anymore. I think a lot of Christians actually wonderfully have given up on the hamster wheel, which I'm super happy about trying to run that religious game and look a certain way on the outside, I think a lot of us have kind of given that up. The question is, what have we replaced it with? Have we discovered the life in peace that is another option? So the mindset on the Spirit. Guess what the Spirit's job in our lives is? This is really, really actually encouraging. A few verses later in chapter 8, he says it is the Spirit which bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Can you imagine a child running around their house trying to perform for their parents to prove that they are their child? I think that's a little bit of the rat waste that we get sucked into. We try to do things, and then eventually we get so tired of trying to do things, and we get frustrated. And I imagine a parent, I imagine myself as a parent wanting to say to my child, you don't have to do that in order to be accepted and loved. You are. Jesus says in John 16, the, it's good for you if I go, because if I go, the advocate's going to come. And you know what people think often that the advocate is? The advocate somehow becomes defending you against God. Have you ever thought that way? Like, the advocate is here to advocate for me when God tells me how much I've screwed up. Like, that's, that's sort of the mindset. But the God is not the accuser of our souls. Who is the accuser? The Bible calls Satan the accuser. So he's advocating for you. When your performance is not good enough, you have an advocate that says, but you're still a child of God. You're still valuable. You're still needed. You're still necessary. And I still love you. What is the difference between a person who works hard in order to be accepted and a person who works hard because they are accepted? Think of the difference. 
I was thinking of a picture that maybe help us grab onto this. Think of a high school student. Sorry, think of two high school students. We'll compare them. The first high school student, um, she works hard at her grades uh, to get the best possible she can because she wants to get a scholarship to get into a great college because she wants to earn her parents' approval. Now think of another student. Parents are supportive and loving. She knows she's accepted, and she works hard, and she works for good grades to get a scholarship to go to a good school because she knows that she can reach for her dreams, and even if she's fail, she'll be okay. She's fail? Did I say she's fail? Can you picture the difference of those two lives? One is set on the flesh, and one is set on the spirit. I think that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a mindset of how we do and how we go about becoming who we want to become. We were never created to worry about our performance. The fear of judgment and rejection is the most debilitating force in the universe. I want to say that one more time. The fear of judgment and rejection is the most debilitating force in the universe. And it's the Spirit's job to come to our aid, to advocate for us, and to let us know you don't have to fear judgment. You don't have to fear rejection anymore. And the result of that is freedom. But here's the amazing thing. This is like, if freedom wasn't good enough, which it is, but if freedom wasn't good enough, in that freedom we discover whole new resources of power and energy and ability that we could never tap into when we were busy performing. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I heard someone say, grace isn't opposed to your effort. It's okay to work hard. We should work hard. But you know what grace is opposed to? It's opposed to earning. We can't earn it. So the Spirit's job is to let you know you don't have to earn a single thing. Um, To give uh, just a few moments as we close here for reflection, I think we, we can find a common starting place for, for no matter where we are. Um, and the common starting place is, what is the Spirit saying to me now? And I, you know, I'm as sensitive, I think, as anybody to, uh, to weirdness when it comes to church and Christianity. <laughs> but I don't think the Spirit is weird. Because I think the Spirit is active and present already. We just aren't always paying so much attention or giving credit to what the Spirit is doing. Um, I watched the movie um, Doctor Strange with, uh, the other day. We were on vacation. And there was a great line in there. Doctor Strange is sort of trying to wrap his brain. I'm just so I know. How many people have seen the movie? Okay. So it's a comic book superhero movie. I love those movies. Um, Dr. Strange is trying to wrap his brain a little bit around this whole new world that he has just been shown that he did not know existed. And his friend who is bringing him in gives him a pointer. And he says, uh, forget everything you think you know. And it's interesting to me that it doesn't say forget everything you know. He just says forget everything you think you know. You and I think we know some things. Um, And I often get caught in this trap. We know a lot of great stuff. But that's different than hearing what the Spirit would say to me right now in this moment. 
If you want to tell me what are, uh, Joel, make a list of the top 10 things you need to fix in your life. I could make a list of 20. My guess is that the Spirit is not speaking those things to me right now. Maybe one or two, but certainly not all of them. When was the last time, here's a weird question, when was the last time you asked God a question you didn't already think you had the answer to? What is it like to ask God a question and you don't already presuppose to have the answer? We've, we know a lot of stuff, don't we? We know a lot of stuff about Christianity and the Bible and God, but what does it mean to actually ask a question and not know the answer? Here's another one. When's the last time you went seeking God without a set of expectations? I'm just going to seek and find what you have for me. Not what I expect you to give me, but what you have for me. And when was the last time you knocked on the door, on God's door, not assuming you knew what you would find on the other side? What I'm describing is a position of vulnerability, a position of risk, a position that says, yeah, I know a few things, but God has what I need. And I don't know what that is at this point. Why else would I seek if I knew what I needed? So um, I'm going to invite the musicians to come back up. And there was a song that came to mind that I would just like to sing with us. If you know it, you can sing with. If not, spend a few minutes bringing yourself to God in a way that says, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure what I need at this point. I'm not exactly sure what to expect. I'm not even willing to to say, this is what I think is going to be right. I'm just going to come and I'm going to submit this question. I'm going to seek, I'm going to ask, and I will let God bring whatever he wants to bring to me. When was the last time you did that? It is a position of vulnerability, but here's the amazing thing. God is kind, and God is loving, and God is gentle, and God is comforting. And the Holy Spirit is here He's with us, already with us, as it says in Romans 8. You already have the Spirit. He's already there if we will just give him a chance to speak. So would you bow your heads in in prayer with me, and then we're going to sing this song.